Hello, friends. Before we start today, a note about a special giving opportunity through Compassion Radio. This week and this week only, to double your gift for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. Our friend Oleg Magdich is busy right now preparing the church for the onslaught of the potential war that might happen very soon there, and we need to stand with them. This matching gift is for at least $1,200 and available to you if you'll give this week. So every dollar you give will be matched. Our toll-free order line is one 800 868 2478. You can also give anytime online at CompassionRadio.com. And now, to the program. Today on Compassion Radio. This is not a new war. Yeah. This is eight years now. This is years of this. It's like a wound that won't heal. Yeah. It's like a low-grade infection that you can't shake. I think the most significant thing that hit me more this time than any of the other 15 times I've been, I looked around the room after they shared and realized that except Marina's family and me, Everybody else had come out of the Donbass, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Hi, friends, and welcome back to Compassion Radio, reporting from the front lines of faith. We've been following the story in Ukraine carefully, as I assume you probably have, too. We also happen to have our own crew of on-site reporters, people who know and love that country and who are also very attuned to what God's Spirit is up to there. Today, we welcome back a good friend who's sold out to the mission of equipping the church in Ukraine to reach all of their neighbors with the gospel. And that includes Russia. And as he's discovered, it all starts with worship. Thanks for joining us today. On Compassion Radio today, we've been following through with a very in-depth conversation with those who really know Ukraine well. We've talked to Oles Dimitrenko, we talked to Marina Yarmolenko, and now today we're going to get the American perspective, but this guy really isn't even American anymore. He's given his heart and soul to Ukraine. <laughs> Fred Human, welcome back to Compassion Radio. Oh, it's always good to be here, and you spoke truth right there, yeah. You gave your heart to the world like 40 years ago through your experience in the Continentals and then doing a lot of worship development in many countries around the world. You were invited over to do a lot of these cross-cultural interfaces so that this Western American worship culture could get translated into many languages, which was fine. And I appreciate the fact that you did that. Well, it's the American thing or the Western thing is good. We all need certain flavors, but we don't need a steady diet of the same thing. And I don't think Scripture will back me up. I just finished a paper I've been working on for some time, and the thing that I've discovered afresh is that there never has been one monolithic worship culture. Indeed. Even in the early church. you got a Jewish cultural thing, and of course we know that when the church started after Jesus was on this earth, the Jewish that we think about from the Old Testament was not the Jewish that actually existed in the time of Jesus. It was a Hellenized Jewish culture that had been expatriated a number of times to different cultures and had brought back a world's worth of thought and language and philosophy. And that all existed in Palestine at the time that Jesus was doing his ministry. So when we think about New Testament Christianity, even the Jewish side of things was something brand new. And then, of course, we have the entire Gentile world that was being brought into this Christ So you've been doing a lot of study about this over the years and realized in your own work that that new thing that God was doing is something he has always been about. It's always been about the nova, the new thing that God is doing, and he is excited to be in the present. Let's talk about the present as far as God's demonstration of his power and his presence across generations. 
And then we'll talk about what's happened recently. The thing that I was alluding to was understanding that even in not just the New Testament church, which you were addressing, but in the early church, A, you have to think about the fact that it's not like they could get on the Internet and see what Hillsong Alexandria was doing. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> it was that there were basic principles that were followed, but it flowered differently in different regions, which, well, it should have. Indeed. The thing that opened up my eyes was to realize that even right now in the Roman Catholic Church, there are different liturgies that are allowed in different areas. Mm -hmm. And areas that have their own, and it's okay. God loves diversity. Just look around. Yeah. (laughs) And so different different language groups, different cultures, uh, different emphases on different things within that culture and in the arts, in those cultures. Thing that says it for me is that I really do believe that in heaven, and I've asked this question to my students in Ukraine many times. What do you think music in heaven will be like? Hmm. Long pause, longer pause. Yep. Well, it's going to be like nothing we've ever heard before. I said, Well, I'm sure <laughs> there'll be some new things, <laughs> but is it going to be like an orchestra? Oh, that would be great. Well, what about all these tribal things? Well, I don't know. Revelation says every nation, tribe, and tongue. How would they know? Right. Is everybody going to be pale white wearing pale white clothes? looking like it and sprouting wings? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that at some point in the middle of the worship in heaven, which will be stuff we've never heard because we haven't been there, right. stuff that no one's ever heard because God allows it or creates something, but there's going to be a moment where something like this happens. God raises his hand and everything stops. It reminds me of the old Chris Rice song about seeing heaven in colors we have never seen. There you go. And the chords we've never played. I mean, there's something about the worship of heaven that we just have this innate sense that the promise of what God's going to bring to us at the worship service is something that is so him yeah. and so new, that's so beyond what we've experienced so far that it well, can't but be a joy. It certainly will be a joy. But here's the thing. God raises his hand and everything stops. And he says, where are my Uyghurs? Hmm. I want to hear from my Uyghurs and what they have to bring. Yeah. And all of heaven stops, and they all turn, and the Uyghurs sing their stuff. Yeah. And then it goes to, I mean, I don't have enough tribes in my brain right now to be able to do that. <laughs> but then it goes to another tribe, because God, he loves that diversity. Just look at creation. I'm preaching another sermon here, but the, mm-hmm. that's part of what we've been doing in Ukraine is getting them to understand that it's not about just redoing American or Western songs. Yeah. You don't have a few, but I would always say, where's the Ukrainian song? I think I've said that before. And now we're seeing all kinds of Ukrainian songs coming up. When I spent time with Oles over the past few days, he did dive in a little bit to his own personal history with his sister and being brave, being songwriters, and how you kind of discovered them in the midst of their creativity and helped engender a a culture of creativity. And basically, someone saying, you done good, kid. Keep going. And when someone from a far place comes and tells you you're doing okay, and wow, I would love to bring what you're doing back to my people, how it just kickstarts a creativity with courage. Yeah, everybody thinks, well, it's not as good as. In fact, I mean, I appreciate Ola saying that, because I know when I got there, the answer to my question, where's the Ukrainian song, was, oh, they're not very good. Hmm. I'm going, well, play some. Let's hear them. Well, that sounds okay to me. Come on. And it even works. Look, the rhyme scheme fits the melody. Hello. So those kind of things are part of my passion. I was joking with some friends who pastor a Hispanic church in town that I've had some involvement with over the years. And I told them what I did in my class. I started the session with something called, Is This Worship? Hmm. Thank you, David Letterman. I borrowed that from you. (laughs) Is this anything? And so what I do is I have songs queued up from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. 
And I will play them stuff, and I say, is this worship? Because they think of worship as a genre. The reason I mentioned it to my Colombian friends was that I taught every class for the last four years a very popular Central American chorus called Te Alabare. Mm. And I've flown it out on the board, and we sing along with the record. And I get them to sing Spanish and also act as though they were in a more Latin culture. Mm. And until this last trip, I never had anybody stand back and not do it. This one is shattering his world because he thought worship could only be a certain way. Right. But I could show you the video of the rest of them acting like they were doing salsa. Yeah. This was in a classroom. But, I mean, the point was... Spirit-inspired salsa. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and it's not about you. It's not about your style. God's above and beyond style, but he loves those styles. Why would he allow them to create it? I have to remind myself... Heaven's going to be great, but the new heaven and the new earth are going to be even better. Yeah. We're talking with Fred Human, who's of Music Works International and a doctoral candidate in worship arts and has been teaching for a number of years over in the Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary, focused on worship and helping them actually develop their entire school. Previously on another program, we talked to Marina Karmalenko, who is his protege and has been leading that program ever since. And, of course, it's a booming program. Yeah. And I won't go into all the prehistory about how God brought you specifically to Ukraine, but obviously it's a crossroads. And we both know from the history of that part of the world that if there's any intersection between the Rus people, which is the mother tongue and the mother culture of Ukraine, many cultures in Eastern and Central Europe, and of course Russia, it's Ukraine, because that's where the birthplace was. And the Eastern world, the Western world, met together in Rus territory right there in Kiev, Ukraine, which is really important. Yeah. And it's something I think, as we pray for the country even now, is something we need to keep in mind. Because before there was even a Russia, there was definitely a Ukraine. And more importantly for our purposes, our values, Kiev and the Christianity that was brought to them by the original apostles was present there before there was even any of these other countries like Russia. There couldn't be a more important time to talk about the state of the church in Ukraine than right now. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. As I mentioned at the top of the program, we have a very special giving opportunity this week and this week only to double your gift for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. Our friend Oleg Magdich is busy right now preparing the church for the onslaught of the potential war that might happen very soon there, and we need to stand with them. This matching gift is for at least $1,200 and available to you if you'll give this week. So every dollar you give will be matched. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. And now, back to my discussion with today's guest, Fred Human. Kiev and the Christianity that was brought to them by the original apostles was present there before there was even any of these other countries like Russia. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, you're right. And Remembering that kind of continuity going all the way back to the disciples having come out of the Holy Land saying, we must reach the entire world, we're going to take the Great Commission seriously. It began and reached the Rus people through Kiev, what is now that city, that capital. So for us, looking at Christian history, this is like the lodestar of what ministry ought to be to that part of the world. And the largest country on earth speaks a tongue that came out of that city. So... 
you found yourself at that place, that inflection point, not even knowing that there was going to be such incredible changes in history and challenges like we're having and facing right now yeah. between the West and the East. So you went over there just the past few months. So tell me about what that experience has been like and what God taught you this time around. All right. I will say one other thing, though. You mentioned that Kiev was there. Kiev was there before Moscow was there. Yes. There was no Moscow. There obviously was no Russia. It's been very interesting the last couple of weeks. I happened to come across a certain Christian network that was trying to offer their input on what was going on in Ukraine. And they had somebody on who was spouting all the same things that Putin was saying. Mm. I don't want this to become political because I love Ukraine. But guess what? We live in, in a political world. Yeah. And it just grieved my heart. If I'm honest, I yelled at the TV a little bit, but I was the only one in the room. <laughs> yeah. um, because I've learned this by being there. It's a crossroads in so many ways. You mentioned spiritually, obviously, geographically, in so, so many ways. And right now, there are probably more missionaries to Eurasia and even other countries coming out of Ukraine than any other country in, in Eastern Europe. Yes. So this is not a church that is sitting there on its haunches or saying, gee, we're cowering. They're saying, you know, we can do this. We've been through the Soviet Union. This reminds me of the Abrahamic promise and how both the apostles in Jerusalem and the apostle Paul dealt with it. The idea of being in Abraham and coming from that is something that God would bring to fruit and to flower in his time. Over generations and over thousands of years, it was there in Abraham, and yet it came to life later. In some ways... That's what I see about Jesus reaching the entire Rus world, the Russian speakers, the other Slavic yeah. nations and speakers. There's something about the, the seed that he planted in a certain place which has a kind of primacy and a specialness in the heart of God and should be in our hearts because he started it there. And so I don't think that God intends for Christianity and his spirit to stop at Kiev, but to infect yeah. and to spread across the entire world wherever those people go. Yeah. I see a wall of, of resistance right now with Putin's notion of an atheistic power structure hearkening back to an earlier era. And this great upwelling of faith is happening in Kiev right now and the, this great missionary movement like we had in the 19th century here. So speak more on that. I wouldn't have drawn the direct line there, but I hadn't thought about it that way. But I think that's absolutely right. Before you called, I was actually going through this huge coffee table book. We all have those. Mm -hmm. This was pictures of inside St. Sophia's Cathedral in mm -hmm. Kiev. Yeah. And we didn't get to go there when you were there with us. But I've been several times since. And this cathedral was built in the year 1011. Mm -hmm. It was founded in the year 1011. That's prior to the Catholic Orthodox Schism. Mm -hmm. The instance you mentioned was in 988, mm -hmm. when Vladimir, the king, the pagan king who'd married a woman who'd become a Christian, said he wanted to figure out what was the best religion. We yeah. sent people all over, to the Jews, to the Muslims, all these different places. And those people wound up at Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, Constantinople. And I can almost quote it exactly, but I won't try. Basically, they said, this was like heaven on earth. Hmm. It was like God had come down. Surely this must be the true religion. So he said, okay, we're all going down to the river. We're getting baptized. Yeah. It really is the lodestar, the beginning moment for all of Christianity in that part of the world. So yeah. obviously, from my trips there over the last now 10 years and before that, that God has something very special for Ukraine. I don't say that with any fear of contradiction. Hmm. And I think that's part of what's going on here. I don't overstate that. I'm not looking for a demon under every bush. 
there's enough of them out there in public. I don't have to look behind the bushes. Yeah. All these different things are at play in this. And I'm sure Oles was very candid about his role and the experiences he had at Maidan. When they right. started this prayer chant at Maidan, they realized one day when all those people got shot that they were actually in the line of fire. Yes, they were. I'd met Oles before that, but I wandered around Maidan with him, and he was definitely in PTSD. Yes. But he and our friend Oleg Magdich had started that thing right there because they felt like they needed to be in the middle of it. And that actually opened up doors between the Orthodox and the Evangelicals because it's like, hey, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And they were up there leading it through. Mm -hmm. If there's anything that those Ukrainians learned from the Soviets, it was that rule right there. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That's fair. So anyway, there's a lot going through my head. So you asked me about December. Forgive me for wandering a bit. That's right. Because I thought about it a lot. I was there end of November through early December teaching at the seminary. Obviously with Marie and I did not see a lesson on this trip. And all our students had lots of discussions. But again, at that point, there were troops on the border. People looked at me and said, you're going where? <laughs> yeah. I said, I'm going to Ukraine. That's what I do every year. What? Uh, what's your problem? Well, but how are you going to get there? What about COVID? I said, I'm shot up. <laughs> I'm good. They're letting me in and I can get back. And I'm with people who know how to get around if I can't. I'm not trying to sound like the greatest martyr in the world, but that's basically what's my attitude. If you're going to talk about martyrs, though, Brother Andrew was famous for saying there's no doors that are closed to the gospel, provided you're not demanding that you get out. Yeah, yes. If it is a one-way trip, it's a one-way trip. But in your case, there was pretty much a good assurance that there was enough of a protection circuit or a racket there in Ukraine yeah. that they'd be able to get you out sometime. So it was not a fear to go in there and to be with them during this time. But you and I saw back in 2017 that there was still plenty of stuff going on on the eastern border that was not quelled, and the West really didn't understand that this was a medium-level war that was still existing, and shots were being fired even then. And we just didn't pay much attention to it. And now, of course, it's taken a whole international, global aspect. Yeah. So what did you learn from the folks this time around when you were talking with them about what has become of that conflict? Well, I think the thing I learned was something that I already knew, but I was almost in some ways surprised to hear it again, which is, so? <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is not a new war. Yeah. This is eight years now. This is years of this. It's like a wound that won't heal. Yeah. It's like a low-grade infection that you can't shake. So they're going, you know, what do we do? What I learned is, guess what? We're going to Kyrgyzstan next week. Mm -hmm. Guess what? We're doing this. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? We're helping support our, our friends here, and we're doing that. I think the most significant thing that hit me more this time than any of the other 15 times I've been, I went to a home group with Marina and her family from their church. It looked like a home group, yeah. you know? There was good food. There was great people sitting around talking about praying and singing. And at one moment in the middle of this, because they had asked me to share some of my story related to Ukraine, I looked around the room after they shared and realized that except for Marina's family and me, everybody else had come out of the Donbass. Yeah. One family had come out of Crimea. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. The world had come to you. Well, yeah. And the front had come to me. Yes. Because these people were talking about houses they still have. This one dear, dear, dear family, the uh, daughter is one of our teachers, their son has graduated and was one of our students, and they have a house in uh, Donetsk still yeah. that they haven't seen. And before they left there and what precipitated them leaving was the situation where they got hauled into prison. I mean, so it's like, that really is it. So, I mean, this is a very real situation. I'm not understanding what's going on now. But we think there's more on the other side than there really is. There's a lot of bluff and bluster 
It doesn't mean it's not dangerous. It doesn't mean that a loose cannon wouldn't fire at any time. It will. It could. But the situation is these people have said, so I'm going to do what I'm called to do. It's hard. I'm going to enjoy what God gives me to do now. And we're not going to stop. Even since then, the things that I've heard from people, gotten notes, we got a video from a friend the church that Ellis goes to, their pastor I've worked with since 1992. Mm -hmm. um, and then another gal who's been one of our translators who teaches at another seminary, who said, this is what we need to do. Trust God. Keep doing this. Don't worry about that. Be prudent. Make good plans. It reminds me of previous people I've met there who had been through Soviet times, this dear pastor yeah. who was in his 90s and since went on to his reward, who stood in front of this gathering of evangelical pastors and leaders from across the country and said, I pray God would give us wisdom to do the most we can in this window of opportunity. This was just after my dawn. In other words, the freedom we have now may not continue. He made an assumption there where the American in me goes, well, why would he say, oh, why would he say that? All of a sudden it landed. He's seen history. Yeah. You and I have talked over the past you know, about five or ten years about seeing God show up in the most interesting places, but all the stories seem to center around things that are becoming way too common in the world now, which is refugees. Oh, gosh. God seems to keep showing up and building his church among refugees. Yeah. I hear from like Bible placement agencies that are saying the biggest market, quote-unquote, we've got for Bibles now are all the underground churches that are in refugee camps in Turkey and Iran and Afghanistan and Pakistan, Central mm -hmm. Africa, mm -hmm. where the gospel has come to life there because the kingdom has come to life there, and the kingdom has shined in places where there's nothing else to look at but darkness. So it shows yeah. up, and it shows brightly. And now your people, your friends in Ukraine, are being pressed. Yeah. Like a wine press, they're being squeezed, and they have been for years. And I shudder to think about how that ties in with historical precedent, because we talk about the great outpourings of the Spirit between the time of Jesus and now have often coincided with a great diaspora yep. when some cataclysmic event happened which drove people out. Yeah, there's no question about that. And you think about what it means to be a refugee, and you think of the biblical imperative. Mm -hmm. And when I say biblical, I don't mean New Testament, I mean Old Testament. Yeah. To Israel, who were the chosen people, and they could, and at times said, well, we're it. Mm -hmm. We're the chosen people. Leave us alone. But God made sure to say, oh, by the way, leave some stuff in the fields. Uh, take care of this. Every 50 years, this is going to change, etc." to keep them aware of the fact that it wasn't just about them. Yeah. And the fact to say they were blessed to be a blessing. That's a whole other issue. The refugee thing is very, very, very real. And it, I shudder when I think of the number of times I've heard people who I thought I knew say things that were against that. Somehow I always get political with you, and I'm sorry. It's all right. Now, I'm with um, you in saying I am truly against refugeeism, as if it's something that is acceptable or just one of those inconvenient truths we got to live with. We don't have to live yeah. with this reality. We created it as humanity, and we've tolerated those who keep driving people out of their homes, out of their homelands, and othered them. And it is one of those diseases that's happening within the evangelical church, too, in the West, including America, to other people and to self-justify that behavior. Yeah. To say that because we have Jesus and you don't, Ooh. therefore God's judgment must be upon you and I am entitled to hate you. You don't have to look very far to find that kind of attitude around our country and the rest of the Western world. Yeah, that's right. And, of course, we know that Jesus spent his time going to the outcast of the chosen people. So if we were to talk about where Jesus would show up <laughs> now, if the church was his chosen, 
where would he be spending time? Not there. Yeah. He'd be spending time in all the refugee resettlement centers. He'd be spending yeah, his time exactly. traveling around and, and giving life and light and affirmation to people that they're loved by his father when no one else would go to them. That's just the way he is. Not the way he was then, but the way he is now. No, exactly. And there's you're going to laugh because it reminds me of a song we did years ago with my team that John Fisher wrote called Johnny's Cafe. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. You remember that one? Where would Jesus be? If Jesus were here, I think we'd find him today down at Johnny's Cafe. Yeah. That's the bar nearby where the people you don't like or don't know, that's where Jesus would be. I think that's absolutely true. And I think, for example, even Ukraine, they were the ones who invited the Crimean Tatars back to Crimea. Yes. That's an important story. Fill us out on that, would you? I'm sure they'll correct me if I get some of the details wrong, but the general thing was they were driven out by the USSR. Soviet Union drove them out, sent them to Siberia, and this was a mostly Muslim people. Yes. So when Ukraine got their sovereignty, and they are a sovereign nation, Yes. when they got their sovereignty, one of the first things they did was invite, was invite the Tatars back. Yeah. That certainly isn't in the Western news or history that we read, but... Ukraine made themselves a a place of homeland, of repatriation, of rehoming the people who had been driven out. Of refuge, a place yeah. of refuge. And that's inherent in the word in English. They made that a priority. And so what happens when Putin's situation changes? The first thing you do is drive them out and take it over. Yeah. And, of course, the Crimea for millennia had been Tatar territory. And yep. now yep. Ukraine had the temerity to say to the world, you can come home now because you're one of us. Yeah. And they didn't shy away from that. These were Christian people that were saying that at the time. There's a lot more to my conversation with Fred Human coming up on next week's programs, so please tune in then for that. Remember, none of this is possible without you. If you believe hearing the good news from the front lines of faith builds your faith, then let us know today. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today, and it will be doubled with a matching grant. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478. Write us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or make your gift through our website, CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.